be here. And this was something she had asked me about, but I told her I would record it. And I keep getting winded, so forgive me if I keep stopping in the middle of things. But um, let me see, I'm going. We're kind of working our way right now. Um, Lisa had been given a couple weeks ago, like a list of verses that someone gave her of why they don't keep kosher or observe any of the laws and what it means to be a New Testament Christian. So we're kind of working our way through all of them. And I wish we had recorded last week. Oh, I know. It was great. It was really great. But no, no, I didn't. And because I was so off of, out of it last, two weeks ago, I was out of it. I know, I know. So we're in Hebrews 4 right now. The, they have Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. One through eleven, and we'll see. I don't know if it'll take us long to get through this. I thought we'd do all the verses last time, and then all we did was get through Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine. So well, because it was so good. Well, it was whole, and we did the whole time. chapter. I know. Oh yes. And so it was just, we were just like, how do you get that? I know it's crazy. It for good conversation. <laughs> I was like, what? So chapter four, one through eleven, and um, I am reading from the source. Because I like I like her footnotes and I like her modern her her interpret her translation of the ancient Greek based on what we know of it from modern study, as opposed to where lots of uh, biblical scholars have taken the position that once we started understanding the Greek language better and it changed how we understood some of the verses mm -hmm. if that affected their doctrinal statements they rejected it and said no no there's a different kind of biblical greek it didn't change which you know may have gone over in some generations but this generation at least i roll my eyes at that mm -hmm. so um as we've learned more about greek we can better understand greek just like we can better understand all of the ancient classics written in greek but chapter four start well, and it, it starts. She actually um, starts it at verse where verse nineteen, I guess, normally is for chapter three, um, because oh, verse one, happened. verse one traditionally for chapter four starts with the word therefore, which means it's speaking to something, you know. Something before it, the word therefore oh, meaning. Let us fear, therefore. Right. So when you start something with therefore, you're building on the argument that precedes it. Right. Um, and we may actually have to do like we did last time and keep backing up because the verse that precedes it says, and now we observe that they were not able to enter in because of their unbelief. So now we observe that they couldn't do this. Well, how? What, what are we, how, why are we now observing this and who are they? 319 you were reading? Yeah, that was just 319. Oh, I so, see. So, wow. let's, so you would really need to read three to even know. Right, exactly. So that, this is the problem with, with cherry picking and grabbing a text of verses that say what you want them to say instead of asking what does it actually say. Oh, yeah, because it says we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. Right, but who's they? But then who's they? And where and are, they, are they, entering? they entering and why can't they? Right. 
But you don't know that unless you read all of chapter three, right. which you might not know unless you go back to two, and then you might right. not even know that unless you go back to one. So, <laughs> so let's so let's go back. Let's go back, go back to, to three. Two and you see, therefore, which is, which is why, which is really, if you think about it, if you think about it, these are letters. Yes. These are letters. Right. And when have you ever found that you could pick up no. a stranger's letter? Read one paragraph and think you have a handle on what the heck they're talking about. You know, even if you think about, so you just take it down to the length of a song. Yeah. If you just hear the chorus of most songs, you don't necessarily know what the song is about. You have to you hear can see the title and be confused. Right. Some titles do not match. Right. Well, and this book, we're in the book called Hebrews. Well, why is it called Hebrews? If you go to chapter one, it says. It tells you why. I never knew that. Well, the beginning of most letters, because that's the greeting, and this one starts out, In ancient times, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets bit by bit and in versatile ways. So this is written to Messianic believers. It's not written to pagan nations. It's not written to the church at such and such. This is a letter written to the Hebrew believers, which is why it's called Hebrews. Yes. It's also interesting that it does not claim authorship. And there is a long, de long standing debate over who wrote it. It was included because at the time it was included, mm -hmm. a lot the, the people doing the inclusion believed it was Paul who wrote it. But, it might not but there's no evidence that Paul wrote it. It's somewhat written in his style, but other t there are very, very key differences. And currently, the strongest argument goes to um, Priscilla, who was the teacher of Apollos. And, um, and, and there's, but it's, it's very, the current, the current scholarship now believes it was definitely written by a woman, which means that authorship may have been included at one point and removed. Mm -hmm. or not included for that reason because of when it was written or to where it was written. Mm -hmm. So, not something that can be proven one way or the other, but I find that interesting. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I researched it and read all of the information, I, I really, the argument is very, very strong. Right. So, um, so it's written to Messianic believers. And... You know, it says God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets bit by bit and in versatile ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed to be heir of everything. Now, that goes with Galatians, where we talked about how Abraham, last week, or two weeks ago, Abraham was given the promise that his descendant oh, right. would inherit, not his descendants, right. plural. And that descendant was Yeshua. So this, this is consistent with that. Right. He has appointed to be the heir of everything. He inherited. Right. Through his son, he made all the periods of time which exist. Wait, I don't think, did I turn one page? Okay. The son is the radiance of God's splendor and the exact likeness of his real nature. He produces everything by the power of his spoken word. After, or he, after he had provided for the cleansing of sins, he sat down at the right side of the majesty on high. So there is a very quick summary of the gospel message. Yeshua is the heir of God. 
he's he, the inheritor of all of the promises. He created the world with God. He did what he did when he was here, dying and resurrection. He addressed sin, uh, cleansing of he provided for he provided for the cleansing of sins, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So not only does anyone reading this get the get the gospel message, but it's also it it would have been included as a, a credential, if you will. The author who is writing this letter is presenting themselves as a believer in the gospel. I affirm the gospel. Here is the faith to which you hold. It is also the faith to which I hold. This is our shared foundation. Now let's talk. He became as much, and, and that's that's really key to this to this book. And and because it was written to messianic believers, for a long time I was not a fan of the book of Hebrews for a couple of reasons. One, it is the most often quoted book by cult leaders. Because Two, if you don't understand the feasts and festivals and, and the Hebraic foundation of faith, it doesn't, you, you can, like, it doesn't make sense. It has no context. And therefore, cult leaders love it because it, it says things that are provocative and that they can say mean one thing and nobody will know it doesn't. And nobody knows how to question it's like, it. Ooh, this. Yeah. So the fact that the list she was given had three sections from Hebrews compared to one section from every other book that was quoted, I went, yeah, okay, let's do, let's do this. Yeah. <coughs> totally see where they're going with that. Right. But but it but I don't think they're do I don't think it's nefarious and I don't think it's intentional and. It's just what they've been taught. It's what they've been taught, and it's that they don't know. But it's also why cult leaders can can read it. And I, there are some cult leaders who are intentionally malicious and in it for selfish means. And then there are others who are very charismatic, crazy people. So, I mean, they're reading it, and they think they understand it, and right. they think it gives them some new revelation. Right. So it says, he became as much superior to the messengers as the name he has inherited is more distinguished than theirs. And we talked about the messengers being the angels, but also the prophets. This is one, right? This is chapter one, yeah. Yeah, because... And and will because I don't I don't think you can do Hebrews, you just can't do Hebrews in piecemeal. Right. No, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> now, now, did God ever say this to a messenger? You are my son, and today I have become your father. Right. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God will bring his firstborn into the world, he says of this: all God's messengers must worship him. Speaking to the messengers, he says he makes his messengers spirits and his otherworldly ministers fiery flames. But to the son, he says, God, your throne is forever and ever, and a scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved justice and hated lawlessness. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of great happiness rather than those who are in partnership with you. Okay, and that is from Psalm 45, 6 through 7. So he's, they're referencing several psalms. Yeah, I see that. I see yeah. that. 45, 6 huh. And the previous thing was also from a psalm. Yeah. I'm but it was, spoken, it was not spoken to the Messiah. Yeah. 
It's right here. Right. Okay. So they're pulling on the songs. Now the songs, um, and we could go and look at what each of these songs were because the songs were sung through the cycle of the year and different songs, like some were done when you went up to Jerusalem and some when you went down. What, what's your question? Yes, Tanya, what is your question? She does it sometimes when we're driving down the road. I'll look over and she'll have her hand up. And I'm, I'm so like, used to it now because school. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm in a car. I don't have to read yeah, I do that. But you know, like, I do that sometimes with my dates too. Like, I'll back and forth. And while you're talking, I'll raise my hand to remind myself, I got an idea. I got an idea. I, got an idea. I, got an idea. I usually um, do this. I'm like, I have a thought. Hold on. Um, okay. So. Just a squirrel, I guess, for a second. Okay. If you remember how we had talked about people saying, oh, forget the Old Testament, it's all about the Right. Day. Yet, even in the New Testament, they are referencing tidbits from the Old right. Testament to write their letters and whatever else. Yes. And what... So then why are we... Because what a lot of people would say... What a lot of what, what a lot of people who call themselves New Testament Christians would say okay. is, well... When we understand Hebrews, then that helps us understand that song. To which I respond back and say, nothing in English works that way. When you quote something, you're quoting it to make a point. If you don't understand the thing you're quoting, you don't understand what you're currently reading and writing. Well, yeah, because when I write my papers, I have to have references. Right. And you prove your point. Is to prove my right. point, and I'm like, hey, this is what backs up my point. I mean, in school, that's what you got to right. do. Right. So we so, can know what your point is right. when we go and read and examine the references. Yes. Now, we can go, we might go and read and examine those references and go, I don't think this really supports the point I hear you making. Yeah. Or we can go and read them and say, well, this part does, but there's other parts in it that seem to contradict you. But what we can't do is go, I love Tanya's point. She is the one who now defines what these what references is. actually say. Right. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, so yes. I define the references that I found? Like, <laughs> right. And that's what happens. So my point. That's what happens when we look backwards. At the text and think we can understand the Old Testament through the filter of the New. Now, we can better understand the Old Testament, and this is what this author is doing. When we know who Yeshua is, and we can see where in the Old Testament it's speaking of Messiah, and we know Yeshua, we can better understand the whole thing. Right. But what, and we can sometimes go back and go, oh, I see a reference to Yeshua here. But what we can't do is, A, know if the author intended that reference. But I think it's a fair practice because that's what the New Testament authors do. They go, look, we know who he is and we see this and we see this and we see this. Or B, we can go, now I better understand this because I, it says it's talking about Messiah. And I know who Messiah is. And he fulfilled it. And when he fulfilled it, it looked like this. Therefore, this is pointing to this, which is what the New Testament authors did. But what we don't get to do is go back and redefine the psalm when we think we understand the point of the Hebrews author. Right. So, 
he's talking about, or she's talking about, they are talking about the, the things that God did that were different with Yeshua. So he says in verse 10, And Lord, in the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the skies are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will continue. And they will all wear out like a coat, and you will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never end. So these are things that the author is saying God said about Yeshua. And did God say to any of the messengers, sit at my right side until I turn your enemies into a footstool for your feet? Aren't all messengers, ministering spirits, sent out to minister to those who are to inherit salvation? So the messengers are sent to those who are going to inherit salvation, but Messiah came to bring salvation and the means of salvation. So chapter 2, for this reason, we must increasingly pay attention to the things we have heard so that we don't drift away. For as the message spoken through messengers was valid, and every overstepping of the mark and disobedience got what it deserved, then how can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So they're basically saying... If there were consequences for violating the Torah, what makes us think we can treat salvation as trifling or we can neglect it or we can reject it and there won't be consequences for that as well? Now, what the consequences are, you know, this, this is not... This is not in contradiction to what we were reading in Galatians. It actually fits very beautifully with it. Because a lot of people hear that and go, see, God will punish you if you don't. Those who, are, those who don't accept salvation, that's why he sends you to hell. And they read that and that's what they hear. I know, but you'll encounter that. They'll read that and go. I look back at it like, no. I don't think it said that. No, it didn't. <laughs> because, but the idea people confuse consequences, meaning you make a choice, there are consequences, Always. with God's wrath coming down. But they're good or bad. Like it's the butterfly effect. Right. You do, right. You do things and, and stuff happens. down. Right. That's how it affects the right. different. You know, like I took this job, so the neck trickled down into the, the kid I'm with, which trickled down into the classroom I'm in, which trickled down to the teacher that I got to meet. Right. And then it's like all a butterfly effect. And I'm like looking at the silver lining. Like, and what happens? Me and, all of this. and what happens you know? when you treat salvation? Oh, wow. what, what happens if you neglect the salvation that you're aware of, especially this being written to Hebrew believers who have lived Torah and now become saved. Right. So he says, then, um, so verse three, oh, such a great salvation, the salvation which <coughs> overstepping the mark and, and disobedience got what it deserved. And in verse 15, that's, uh, and, and, and she says that's, that's actually a word that is, there's not a lot written about that what it deserved kind of idea. Then how can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The salvation which was first proclaimed by the Lord was guaranteed as valid to us by those who heard him. So those who actually heard, you know, the, the prophets who spoke of it and then, and then those who heard Yeshua speak of it, 
have told us. We were, we were, this was affirmed to us. God also testified it to, a, to us by miraculous signs and wonders and different types of powers and distributions by the Holy Spirit as he wished. God did not cause the inhabited world about which we're speaking to come in order to support messengers. Someone testified somewhere and said, what is humanity that you remember it or the human being that you visit him? You made him lower than messengers for a short time and crowned him with glory and honor, for he caused all things under his feet to support him. And that is Psalm 8, 4 through 6. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the messengers for a short time, now crowned with glorious honor on account of the fact that he paid the penalty through death. Is that the same thing as saying under his feet? Yes, his footstool. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was so that he would experience death on behalf of everyone because of God's favor to everyone. It was fitting that God, on account of whom and through everything exists, would lead many children to glorious state and would bring the leader of their salvation to a complete state through his experiences. For both he who makes sacred and those who are being made sacred are all from one family. For this, and, and that speaks with even last time we were talking about being co-heirs, mm -hmm. being adopted in. Um, oh, yeah. We're all one family. We're all Abraham's family. Right. Through his descendant. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will announce your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing festive praise songs, which are the psalms, to you in the midst of the assembly. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, indeed, here I am and the children that God has given to me. Verse 14. So since the children went into partnership with flesh and blood, he also pretty much shared in their flesh and blood. This was so that though his death would be, a, would, through his death, he would abolish the effects of him who holds the power over death. That is to say, slander or liar or the accuser. Okay, so there's, there is no, let me see, I want to see what her footnote is here. Um, the liability of the penalty. So basically, he undid. He he took away the the effects, freed freed them from freed us from slavery. Obviously, I hardly need to say that he doesn't do the work for messengers, but he does do the work for Abraham's descendants. So, verse seventeen. So what he everything he did it wasn't it wasn't for angels it wasn't for spirits it was for people it was for us. So this being the case he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every aspect in order that he would become a merciful and trustworthy high priest in the things pertaining to God so that he could take away the sins of the people. Well she the, the there's there's a big point being made. These are all the foundational things. So I I've not heard that. Oh, okay. But but I'm not sure if that's one of the things that they're actually trying to address, or if that's just okay. one of the points 
Because sometimes when you're building your logical arguments, you know. Just in case you thought, Just in case. He did, he did this for you. He let me let you know, no, which is why he had to become man in the right. first place. Right. Because I suspect this one of the things that, that's being addressed here is whether or not he was fully human. Right. Because there, there are a lot of a lot of teachings and a lot of things over the years that have been debated over if he was God, maybe he wasn't fully human, maybe he was only in spirit form, which is why he didn't sin. So, so the actual, the whole fully God and fully man aspect has been debated. What about the fact since that you pray like every minute because that's what you literally have to do. Right, on this. right. But but that is something that there have actually been there were councils that decided. Oh, I just said okay, Lord. Oh, help the brain, help the brain. There were there were councils where they debated whether he was fully human. So so and he the, was capable of not sinning. Yeah, was he capable of sinning? He was and capable didn't. Of all capable. But right, but if he wasn't fully if he wasn't fully human, then he would he might not have been. So you are a product of a church that has accepted that he was fully human. This was written before the church accepted that across the board. Like I'm gonna bring my son down here to be perfect, to be an example for you, but I'm not gonna make him fully human. So then how is he an example for me and I'm fully human? Right. But there and that was the debate. That was the debate. Did he did he actually was he fully human and could he have sinned? Was the debate for hundred? I think it was in three hundred three hundred AD that that was actually decided. Of course, he could have sinned. He right. could have done a lot. But you're the product life. of a church that taught that. Oh, I see. Before it was decided at one of the councils, it was debated. It was. Um, it was debated. Cool. So this is one of the reasons why it was determined. Yes, he actually was fully human. <laughs> That's. Because she can't fathom it any other way, though. It makes I know. no sense to me any other way. Right, but there you are so many things that we debate be... that God's probably going. Give him time. Give him time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hear you. For as he himself has experienced ordeals, right. he is able to help those who are going through ordeals. Right. So chapter three. We're almost up to our chapter that was quoted. That was there. As this is the case, sacred fellow believers who are partners in the salvation from heaven think very carefully about Jesus, the apostle, and the high priest with whom are legally binding agreement. Or with whom is our legally binding agreement? He is faithful to the one who appointed him. Moses also was faithful in the whole of God's household. Jesus has been considered worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Indeed, Moses was faithful as a companion in arms in all God's household, as evidence of words to be said in the future. But the anointed one is faithful as a son for the extent of God's household. And we are in his household if we hold firmly to the boldness, freedom, and openness of speech and to the expectation about which we are confident. And that is verse here do, do, do. or footnote okay therefore verse 7 therefore as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion 
during the time of ordeals. <coughs> in the desert. So what was that? That was when they were in the wandering in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah so I said. And they kept. Says, uh, uh, like you did in the trials in the wilderness. Right. Yeah. When your ancestors put me to the test and put me under scrutiny to see if I measured up. And for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was burdened by that race of people. And I said, their hearts are always wandering off. And they have not come to know my ways. So I swore my oath in anger. There's no way they will enter my rest. Okay. Now, who is they? Then that would be the Israelites who wandered for 40 years. The Israelites or who didn't enter? That generation. That, yes. Because that's why they wanted for 40 years, because that generation right, had, had to die. So, before, this uh, verse uh, is often used to say that God rejected the Israelites. No, he, re- he was mad at that generation. He that generation, that. right. But if you just, if you, but if you, if you just, pick it out, okay. and you don't look at what it's talking at about, everything. and if you didn't study the wandering in the wilderness, then you wouldn't know. You can miss the point here. Because it does say they, right. which is very vague. But you have to know who they is. They, it makes and it was just the men, not even the women and the children. But it makes sense to say they when you read it. Right, because you're talking because about they. you're talking about they, but I already know who they is. Right, you told me but if you don't know who they. But if you don't know who they is, you can put anybody there. Right. That's crazy. You can have it be a lot broader than intended. Right. Like they. So, and it wasn't, again, it was just the men of that generation, not even the women and children. So, take care, fellow believers, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that avoids the living God. Um, She also suggests that that uh, avoids could be translated as revolts from, keeps aloof from, or keeps far from. So this isn't just, I have questions. This isn't just, I don't fully understand. This is Jonah gets on a boat and tries to flee from the face of God. Rather, encourage each other day by day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceit. Deceit, treachery, cunning. For we have come to be in business partnership with the anointed one if we hold on firmly and securely to our original ground of expectation until the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Okay, now. So would the rebellion be what they just mentioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, She's saying, like I said. Right. But but the, and this idea in here, we have come to be in business partnership with the anointed one right. if we hold on firmly and securely to our original ground of expectation until the end. Now, some people use that to suggest that if you don't, if you don't keep believing, if you don't hold to everything, you lose your salvation. But we are not in a business partnership for salvation. Our salvation puts us in a business partnership with God for the kingdom. Right. Because that's what we talked about in Galatians last week. Right. 
you ready? Right. That's okay. Are you I'm ready? Okay. Listen, <laughs> hey, I've been answering questions. <laughs> I know you have, but this is an important one. I want to wait. I'd rather wait. I wasn't important. Oh, okay. One. No, I because didn't know how to turn. I was confused. <laughs> no, I know. I get confused I when like, I do that, too. That's why I was letting you have your brain for it. Like, how do I turn? <laughs> because when we talked last week, we were talking about it's not, it's about what you're saved from and what you're saved to. Okay. Right. Yeah, saved right. from the power of sin and death yes. for righteousness. So she's already addressed salvation in the previous chapter. We are mm -hmm. saved. Mm -hmm. And now she's talking about the fact that we are saved to be in partnership with God in righteousness, in the bringing about of kingdom things. Now, you can be saved and neglect your salvation right. and not partner with him and accomplish the things you're supposed to be accomplishing. Right. That's what is being talked about right here. It's about missing out on the opportunities because you don't because invest in what you're doing. Right. Right, right. Right, exactly. And there are consequences for that. That's what we talked about. He doesn't say, God doesn't tell the Israelites, choose between salvation and damnation. He says, choose between blessings and curses. That's just what I got with this lesson was on the other day when he was talking about um, this country and a particular topic. I'm just not going to say it right now. Right. Um, and he was saying, you know, if you've ever noticed that the people behind this that's distracting a lot of people, he was like, you've noticed that they're on, on top of their blessings because even though they're, I guess you could say, it was like something about like, they were kind of like behind it at first, but like something about how, but they turn away from it themselves type thing. So it's like, even though I may have created something that kind of, I guess, took off and ran and went this way. But I'm over here turning my face towards it, and well, I'm receiving whatever blessing. But meanwhile, you're distracted by it. We also we one of the things we have to be careful of is really understanding the prosperity movement, because they define blessings as financial wealth, opportunities. No. Well, he was talking about your family, like um. Oh, okay, uh, I got like you. what. What was distracting the people that was created so long ago? Right. He was saying is destroying families, destroying studying together, praying together, destroying the spirit in a sense. Yes. Versus, well, and those, yeah. Yeah. We, and and you I. You know what I mean? Like he was just saying, be careful with that stuff because while that while this thing that was created, you know, is distracting you and destroying your spirit and your family, you know, they have. The ones who are notice how certain people are getting their blessings, and he, and he was trying to make. I know I'm probably not actually okay. quoting him because I was trying to remember, but he was just basically trying to tell people, like, you know, turn away from these things, focus on your family, focus on your spirit, and your heart, on what God is saying, put the family unit back together and get your blessings because he was speaking on blessings and curses and he's like mm -hmm. and, and he did kind of touch on that a little bit people think oh I'm being yeah I got I I, right no, no, no. he's like men being in the family home and being with the families and the families being intact and the women being you know the women of the home and this and that and actually rearing children up and we're all together and we're all in sync and we're all actually studying the word versus I got this on 
and we're being yeah. attacked by certain things that are bringing about these curses because we're ignoring. I think that what I think that there's a very I mean? big problem with the fact that most of us have been born in Babylon, and we don't realize how far away from God's teachings we are. And, and, you know, and there's nothing we can do about that except keep trying right. to learn. Right. And that was his whole thing. He was like, <coughs> you know, we're so blind. A lot of people are kind of blind. Yeah. Basically. Well, and that's why in verse 17 here, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts mm-hmm. as you did in the rebellion. Right. So when you hear God prompting you and instructing you, listen. Right. And who were the ones who heard and rebelled? Surely they were all the ones that Moses led out of Egypt. Okay, now, so in case you didn't know the context back here, they're going to let you know. We're talk- I'm talking about the wilderness here. You know what? I hate that. I hate when they'll go ahead and translate, but then everybody has their own translation. It's like, what are you talking about? It's or they stop question. reading before they get to the interpretation. Yes. I wonder what that question means. Yeah. By whom was he burdened for 40 years? Surely it was by those who sinned, whose bodies lay where they fell in the desert. Who were the ones that God swore to that they'd never enter his rest? Surely it was the ones who disobeyed. So not everybody. No, because they went in. Now we're at chapter 4. Now we're up to the verses. At least it was given. Oh, now I know who they are. And now we observe that they, the Israelites who disobeyed and rebelled against God, we're not able to enter into the promised land because of their unbelief, which prompted rebellion. Why is Lisa not here? <laughs> it's okay. We're recording. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest remains open, mm-hmm. let's be careful that none of you are found to have missed it. Yep. So they're not saying, she, the author isn't saying, and watch out or it's going to happen to you too. They're saying, okay. So this is what's before us. Let's make sure we all understand and enter in. Right. It's a proactive thing. Right. For we too have had the good news announced to us just as they did. But the message they heard wasn't any good to them because the people that heard it didn't combine it with faith. Now remember, this passage was given to her as why we don't do the old thing. Okay, it doesn't say, it doesn't say the message they heard wasn't any good to them, period. Right. It says, comma, because the people that heard it didn't combine it with faith. And I would add, the people we're talking about didn't do what they were told. They rebelled against what they were told. So their rebellion was their unwillingness to take the instruction and partner it with faith. Which we know that if we read about or studied about. Right. So this doesn't tell us reject what they were told. It's useless. It says take what they heard and partner it with faith and don't make the same mistake they did. Right. It's like learn your lesson. Right. Learn from their mistake. Indeed, those of us who have believed do enter into the rest. As he has said, I swore my oath in anger. There's no way they will enter into my rest. Although God's works have been completed since the foundation of the world. Right. So indeed, those of us... And that's the Psalm 2, 95, Right. And now, remember, this is written to the Messianic believers, not the Gentile believers. 
Right. Or the formerly Gentile believers. Not the non-Jews. It's written to... Right. It's written to them. So, therefore... Hold on. Where were we? No, you're on. Verse 4. Somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God ceased from all his work. I don't know. Did they just quote Genesis? Genesis 2, 2. And in this context, again, there is no way they will enter my rest. It's from Psalm 95, 11. Therefore, the fact remains that some will enter that rest. And that those who previously had the good news announced to them didn't enter because of their disobedience. Now, this statement right here is really powerful because the good news speaks to the gospel. And what is being said right here is that the gospel was spoken to those people in the wilderness, that it was the gospel they were rejecting, that it was information about Messiah that they were missing the point of. Right. And that it was rejection of Messiah that kept them out of the land. Right. Which means that people were saved in the Old Testament in the same way they were saved in the New Testament. What they were called to do when they partnered with the kingdom was different. was different because it was a different time and place. Well, that's like on the documentary we watched the guy was saying um, that people would throw the Old Testament out and say we're not going to do certain things. And he was like, of course I'm not going to sacrifice my goat. There's no temple here. Right. <laughs> He's like, so how can I? He's it's kind like, of an irrelevant point. Typically it doesn't really pertain to me now. So of course that makes sense. And if you're not a Levitical and priest, not, it doesn't... Yeah. And there's Good luck. Thing, right. And there's other things where it's like, I'm not a woman, so of course I can't. Right. Exactly. Point to like, you know, um, even if we, you know, people say, what are you supposed to go back to do? Sacrifice animals? And he's like, well, even if we did, he's like, we would still be wrong in a sense because you're supposed to do that in a certain manner, in a certain way, at a certain, at a certain time, time, a certain place. Year, right. Certain play, and if we don't have all of that in order, He's like, then even if we did go back to sacrifice animals, then I guess you could say we would still be wrong because there's certain things that we don't have here in this land. Right. And right. I was like, I never thought about explaining it like that. People just be like, well, we do everything. This one, I'm like, I don't. You can't. Like when you look at it, the the amount of Torah instruction that's actually for each person is not very much, no. and not very burdensome. No, it's not at all. So really read it. So verse 7, so God again fixed a certain day and called it today. In all each of these in each of these quotes, in each of these passages, right. it's talking about today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So basically, God outside of time gives this <laughs> message for today. Right. Every Day, every generation, every group right. gets this message. Today, don't harden your hearts. Today, don't right, harden he your hearts. Today, then now he's saying, you know, to David. Right. A long time, so after that, today, don't harden your hearts. Right. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day after that. Meaning, every time he spoke to the people about today, he was talking about salvation. He was talking about Messiah. He wasn't talking about what I'm telling you to do today. I mean, he was saying, keep your faith in what's coming and do this for the kingdom. Right. 
right. Keep your faith in Messiah and do this for the kingdom. Therefore, there remains an observance of the Sabbath day for God's people. Oh, hey, wow. I thought these verses were supposed to tell us not to observe Sabbath. I was just about to say that. Because that sounds like it's saying the opposite. Yeah. Wow. For anyone who enters into God's rest also ceases from their own work, just as God did from his. So then let us be extremely eager to enter into that rest so that no one will follow an example of disobedience wow. and fall. So the problem comes... These verses? I know. What the, heck? the problem comes when you don't understand the purpose of a weekly Shabbat. It is a... a but what's wrong with resting? Well, that's the thing. Yes, we have entered into... We have entered into God's rest on an eternal level in that... We no longer, you know, we don't have to work. And, and I can't say we no longer. Nobody ever did. God rested on the seventh day before everything in the Old Testament except the first three chapters, or the first chapter. Right. Contextually and time-wise, I think the, the other two chapters fit in there. But he rested at the beginning. We enter into an understanding of what that means and we lay down our human desire to try and accomplish things in our own effort when we understand salvation and we partner with God in what he's doing. Then we're not doing it our own strength. We're not doing it for our own purposes and with our own understanding. We're partnered with God. So when we partner, when, when we become business partners with God because right. we understand salvation and we've entered into that rest, then we can accomplish amazing things for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So that, but that was, that was the same for Abraham. It was the same for the Israelites. It was the same in the time of Joshua. It was the same for the people who first heard the gospel and walked with Yeshua. And it is the same for us. But... Therefore, there remains an observance of the Sabbath day for God's people in verse 9. Mm -hmm. Because that weekly stopping is supposed to remind us and teach us about that spiritual rest. Right. We stop our bodies just like when we eat Passover. Right. We're not literally being freed from Egypt again and again and again. It's just an observance. It's a remembrance and an observance, but well, it is the most. do this in, well, no. In that's But no, that is. is. That yes, that's yeah. Passover. Because okay, he's he added context to it. Right. He says, I'm, I'm freeing you from slavery, which was the picture that this always was. Slavery right. to sin, slavery to Egypt, right. wherever the slavery is, so I free you from it. Me. And, and I, I, I remember to yourself, not remember. Right. One of the Passovers that I, I, that I hosted at, at our former congregation, um, there was a young, a young Muslim girl who had been invited and she was going through the Passover with us and, and she was sitting next to me. And so we were talking during the meal and I said, I said, so if this is, I said, so this is your first Passover. Then she said, it really is. I was very curious. I said, well, what do you think? And she said, it's far more experiential than I realized doing these things makes them real. And I'm understanding right. the point of them, Yes, which yeah, is why it's important to, to rest on Shabbat. Right. 
because you're doing something that's making you understand why it's important. And when you stop your work on Shabbat and you spend that day resting with the Lord, who is your business partner, it reminds you of what business you're doing the rest of the week and why. It gives you that focus. So to go on and finish this chapter, because we'll we'll finish this chapter and then next week we can do um, the other chapters because the other verses from Hebrews are in chapter 7. It says, "For For God's word is living and active and is sharper than every double-edged sword, piercing to the extent of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to discern the reasonings and thoughts of the heart. Okay, God's word gets in, digs around, and figures out why you're doing what you're doing. And there (coughs) is no creation that is unseen in his presence, but everything is naked and laid open to scrutiny in his eyes and in his view. The word is our responsibility. Therefore, as we have a high priest who has passed through the heavenly places, Jesus, the Son of God, we must hold fast to our agreement. For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been harassed by the enemy in all respects like we are, and was without sin. Therefore, we must come to the throne of God who grants favor with the light, with the right of free and bold, open and frank speech, able to say what we like in order to take hold of mercy and find favor, which leads to help in time of need. So in other words, as we partner with God, we need to remember that our high priest is sitting at the right hand of God and sympathizes with all our weaknesses because he walked the earth in flesh just like us. He was harassed by the enemy in every way we are. He didn't sin. So we can go and be bold and honest and confess our struggles because he has mercy and favor for us because he understands. He understands why we fail. Right. He didn't fail because he was also fully God. Right. We aren't. We fail. He gets it. Right. He's like, okay. And, and his response, his judgment was, let me die in your place. And now I will give you mercy and favor to help you in your time of need. So if we want to sit in judgment of other people, if our response is not, let me help carry your burden and give you favor and mercy and help in time of need, we are not judging with the heart of God. And we should maybe take that before the king and go, I'm struggling with judging. I'm not having your response when I see people doing things. Right. Which is why we're told, judge not, or you'll be judged according to the way you judge. Right. And. Well, because it's just like. 
know. It's just like, um, there's some shows watching, like, some girls, like, Oh, okay. you know, like, talk I was talking I was talking with my boys a week or so ago about the, about the French phrase j'accuse. Yeah. I accuse or accuse me. You know, when we start, when we're pointing out someone else's sin, it's either because we recognize it because it's familiar or we're trying to distract from something we're doing. Uh I'm not so bad. Look what they're doing. Right. And, and that's, there's no love and mercy in that. So I'm going to stop there and we'll pick up at chapter five and keep going and and get through chapter seven. But Asking those questions when we read is what keeps you from falling into major understanding pitfalls. Right. When you start reading, therefore, something, and this is why those people didn't get to do that thing, and your brain doesn't go, what people didn't get to do what thing when? Right. And is that answered? Then you're not reading for understanding. And if you're not reading the, the, the Bible for understanding, whatever you think you're getting from it is limited. Right. You know? Especially when someone says, here, read this first. It's why we do this. Right. And you think you're re- that's why you're reading it. Yeah. No, you should be asking, wait, does this prove the point that they're trying to make? No. And not at all. It's kind of the opposite point. The yeah, exact yeah, opposite yeah. point. Like, right. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you can't get any more opposite that's than that point. Because she would realize that she's contradicting herself. Right. Read this chapter about why we, why God says we should honor Sabbath. It's why we don't honor Sabbath. I go, okay. So let me bless on the recording, and then, then we'll stop it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.